0: Hey everyone, I'm Lucy and I'm the producer behind Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. I just wanted to take this opportunity to personally welcome you all to the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please do subscribe. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating and review as it really helps the show to reach more people.
1: Good evening, my little pumpkin. You just caught me blow-drying my hair. I'm off to a party tonight. It's an annual over-30s disco held at the local church hall. I don't normally go to these things, but, well, since the divorce, I have been feeling a little lonely, and I just can't bear to go on that dreadful Tinder thing, swiping left, swiping right, and everyone looks so ghastly. Anyway, while I make myself beautiful, which shouldn't take long. (laughs) You relax and enjoy these next stories.
2: Hi, I'm Lerm Bennett, and this is my story. I was nine years old when my family started going to a church in Thornwood, Missouri. We barely knew anybody. But my dad, he took a job as a youth pastor there and encouraged the rest of the family to start going. Looking for other volunteers to help out at the church, we contacted a missionary named Sister Ruby, and she too agreed to help our growing youth program. Sister Ruby was known as a friendly, easy-going woman and was a welcome addition to the church. One of the first nights we attended the church, everything started out normal with the service, people singing and clapping along to the music. The service was drawing to a close when, out of nowhere, a lady up ahead of where we were sitting in the pews started screaming and pointing her finger at the pastor. The music stopped and everyone gasped, listening to what she was saying. The woman started speaking in strange tongues and her voice was also changing into deep, demonic tones. We couldn't believe what was happening. Was this real? We were stunned at what we were seeing. I turned around and watched everyone run out of the church when I noticed three women in black cloaks making strange symbols with their hands at the rear of the church. Immediately, I just knew this wasn't good. In fear, my mum instantly grabbed me and my brothers and ran out of the sanctuary and hid in a nearby stairwell. As soon as we got settled, the lights in the church suddenly went out. Darkness. My mum started praying nervously. My father was still in the sanctuary helping deal with the situation. After what seemed like hours, the lights finally came back on and we decided we should go and see what was going on. We walked to the doorway of the sanctuary to see my father, Sister Ruby, the pastor, and a few others surrounding the woman causing the disturbance, holding her down on the floor, shaking and screaming. She was hysterical. Sister Ruby was praying over her and began performing an exorcism, the lady showing all the signs that she was possessed. The possessed woman rejected any help from Sister Ruby and continued to scream in odd tongues. The pastor and the staff unable to help in that spur of the moment, decided to shut the doors of the church and move everything to a barn just outside of town. It was in this time that the three women in black disappeared, never to be seen again. My father, being the youth pastor, decided the family should leave and get the barn ready for an exorcism in more controlled surroundings. I think back to that day. ...to the three women in black who looked on from the back of the church. My own interpretation of what was happening was that the three women were witches. And they had come for their fourth as she was trying to leave the coven and get saved. While there, helping set things up around the barn... ...I was in complete shock and disbelief at what I had just witnessed... ...and I walked off towards the edge of the nearby wood... ...just to take a minute for myself. I needed time to think clear my head. I needed to get away from there. As I began walking towards the forest, there, from deep within the shadowy gloom of the woods, a strange man walked out and stood staring at me, grinning with crossed eyes. I noticed his legs look crooked, almost bent backwards like a bird, his face and palms covered in hair. The odd man said, Hey, little boy, come with me into the woods. In a strange voice that sounded like a goat. I'll never forget it. My mother, she must have seen this and ran up and grabbed me and we ran back into the barn. To this day, me and my mother have never spoken of what happened. Even though I was young, I will never forget what I saw and to this day I still have a fear of the Goat Man coming out of the woods and taking me away. He's appeared in several of my dreams and I wish he would go away. I never knew of what happened to Sister Ruby and my dad made me promise I would never speak of what happened that day in Thornwood, Missouri.
1: I've loved horror ever since I was a kid. I feel that mixture of dread and fear and my breathing deepens, and I love it. I started this podcast not only to talk about my love of fear and horror, but to give you a platform to share yours, because I know many of us feel this way. So have a seat, tell me a story. Tell me about an experience you've had, a legend local to your area, or even a movie you saw as a child that scared you so much it stayed with you. Tell me why it scares you. Tell me why you love it. In this podcast, I want you to scare me.
0: In the summer of 2013, I had what I considered to be the best job of my life. I was the night security watchman, meaning I was the guy who watched the monitors for 10 hours a night and got paid ridiculous amounts of money to do so. Let me get one thing clear. I was a college student who was trying to get by. I had a decent scholarship to a decent state-level university, and I was avidly pursuing my career in paediatric healthcare. So as you can guess, when summer came and classes stopped, I needed to occupy my time and try and save enough cash to supplement me over the break. Thankfully, I had a good friend, let's call him Will, who had been working around the town for a long while. He hooked me up with an interview with the company, and I was hired on the spot. I was assigned as overnight security for a parking garage used by one of the local banks as some of the higher-ups had a habit of staying overnight for their corporate functions, and were worried about a string of recent break-ins. I really didn't care about the criteria. I was just happy because I got to spend ten hours, a blight a bit bored, watching the office TV, playing Pokemon, and generally dicking around with whoever was on watch with me. Pranks were frequent. A fake severed hand in front of a camera, one of them popping out with a yell or anything of that stupid nature were common. After a while, I grew desensitised to it. A short time after that, I often shut off the audio feeds altogether. Besides the random homeless guy wandering in or out, teenagers trying to find a secluded place to drink, get stoned or have sex, it was completely and utterly uneventful. Oftentimes, the other guards would just pass out in the office out of sheer boredom. August the 11th was a night like that. It was about 2am, and I was halfway through my shift. The hours dragged on, and in a last-ditch effort to stay awake, the roving guards, there was two at all times, and tonight, Will was one of them, decided to go to the roof to get some fresh air. Meanwhile, I was glued to my laptop, Browsing and drinking as much coffee as my body could handle, it was a completely and utterly average night. At around 2.30am, a car pulled into the lot. This was unusual. Not much of a concern. I watched it for a few moments, became uninterested, and went back to the laptop. Ten minutes later, the car was still there, and its driver had yet to show themselves. It made me slightly uneasy, but I had just figured that there was a late-night bottle of scotch between the executives, and one had called for their spouse to pick them up instead of risking the DUI. It stayed this way for 40 minutes. Then finally, at 3.30am, the car door swung open, and the driver stepped out. He was thin, almost skeletal, wearing a tight shirt and slacks. His eyes were sunken, and he was wearing a black skull cap. And he had a half-burned cigarette in his hand. Naturally, he gave me the creeps. He wasn't maintenance or a watchman, but he did seem familiar. After a few moments, he put the cigarette out and began walking towards the stairwell. There were no cameras in the stairwell, so I decided to notify the rovers. Tom, we have an intruder moving towards Stairwell F. Be advised, he seems pretty sketchy. I droned over the radio. A loud sigh blared over the radio. Then his response.
1: Roger that, we're on our
0: way. They were armed with tasers and the like, so I wasn't worried. Still, I decided to activate the audio for the floor, hoping to at least get a sense of where he was going. I expected to hear the sound of his shoes against the metal stairwell, but instead... I was met with a peculiar dragging noise, one which made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. After a few moments of this, he appeared again, now toting a large black sack. It looked heavy, but he was dragging it single-handedly with ease. He stopped upon reaching his car and began looking around for something. Curious, I decided to update Will. It was now that I realised just how nervous this was making me. My hands were visibly shaking, and my voice cracked over the radio. All I could manage was... Will, please hurry. ...before the receiver slipped out of my hand. I took my eyes off the monitor for half a moment. When I looked up, I literally jumped out of my chair in shock. He was staring directly at the camera. But it seemed like it was going beyond... It felt like he was staring me in the eyes. The bags under his eyes added to the look of absolute malcontent and made him look like some cheesy action movie villain. It was completely silent. He wasn't even breathing. He didn't move. He didn't flinch. I was losing my mind looking at him. If this was some kind of shitty prank, I was not up for it. I reached for the radio one more time. But somehow, it seemed like he knew. He ran at the camera, with a look that I can only describe as sheer darkness on his face. I screamed aloud, and the camera went dead. In the audio, I heard footsteps. Doors slammed. Then, after a few moments, yelling. An engine firing, and then a restless silence. I sat there for a few moments, breathing heavily. What the hell did I just see? Suddenly... The radio came alive. It was Will. Call the police! Tell them to send an ambulance! Will's voice screamed as groans sounded eerily in the background. All in all, it took about five minutes for the authorities to arrive. As it turns out, Will's roving partner had given chase to the man, but had stumbled near his car. Upon the man's escape, he had backed out over the guard's leg. Luckily, he avoided any fatal damage, but they still rushed him to the hospital. For the remainder of my shift, Will and I were questioned. The police took the videotapes and audio logs and the bag was searched. I wasn't allowed to view the contents, but the officers' pale faces and sombre tones were enough. They told me it was a man, dressed in a suit, mid-forties. He had been strangled, beaten and had most of the fingers on his left hand removed. Apparently, it was one of the employees. Nobody used that stairwell on a regular basis, so the rovers usually avoided it. After a short while, they realised we were as clueless as they were, and we were released. Two days later, I resigned. I just couldn't do it anymore. Every time I looked at the monitors, I saw his sunken, half-skeletal face in the corner, A shadow. Something. It stressed me out. I don't tell most people about this story. It just didn't seem relevant and I just didn't care to share it. Three days ago I had a call from the detective's office. They had apparently found the man after a year on the run. Will didn't manage to catch a look at him and the guard who was injured couldn't remember much of what happened before the accident. So they wanted me to identify him. The video evidence has been enough to arrest him. But due to the shitty playback quality, they needed an eyewitness to make sure they had the right man. They told me they would need to wait for statements, alibi investigations and booking to occur before they wanted me for the process, but told me they would be in touch. They wished me a good day and hung up. To most people, this would bring a long, scary story to a satisfying end. But not for me. Last night... I got a manila envelope in the mail, no return address. I shouldn't have opened it, but curiosity got the better of me. What was included made my heart stop and immediately created a cold sweat that still hasn't stopped. Inside were three words. Don't you dare.
3: They say you never forget the most important moments in life, that you take them to the grave with you. Kevin still lives not far from where it happened in Sudbury, Suffolk, but they never forget what happened there in the summer of 1988. The night was still and silent, the windows ajar, letting in a whispering draught to soothe the heat. All calmness ended. Suddenly, Kevin was awoke around 3am with what felt like a huge weight on top of him. Breathing hard, his ribcage felt as if it was made from lead, his body shooting with sharp spasms. His throat began to retract as if invisible hands were strangling him. His own arms lay locked down by his side, impossible to move. There was no way he could be doing this to himself, even though he was the only person in the room. The only person? Human. A golden light burst through the window. He suddenly remembered a story his mother had once told him. His stepfather had seen a UFO hovering over the sea in Brighton off the south coast of England in the 60s. There were lots of different colored lights moving all around its base as it moved closer and closer to him. Maybe that UFO that his stepfather saw had kept tabs on him through his whole lives. Maybe it was back. Restricted, his body frozen still by some unseen force, he tried to move his fingers, but even that small act was impossible. With all his concentration and will, he struggled to become free, to have control of his body once again, wriggling, writhing, fighting against the force that, then he saw something on top of him something was sitting on him there was a movement above a blurry figure leaning down towards him coming into focus moving closer and closer to his face he tried to move tried to fight free with everything he had slowly stiffly his fingers started to slightly move again then the face was gone It had shifted down next to Kevin's face, down to his left ear. It started growling or making some sort of groaning sound. Low, deep sounds that gurgled from a wet throat. As Kevin tried to free himself, the more he could see it, reptilian, lizard-like eyes. A flat, thin mouth that turned at the corners like a grin. Kevin had turned his eyes towards it, stared into the slits it used as pupils. Anger surged through his body like electricity. He wanted to fight back, wanted to reach out with his bare teeth and bite it. He wanted it to leave him alone. Why was it here? Why was it on top of him in bed? Get off me! Get off! He was trapped within himself, while this thing trapped him from the outside, pinning him down with an unnameable, unimaginable force. Why was this happening to me? Why was this happening to me? Staring at the scaly thing, he could see through it and then sometimes it was solid, flickering from solid to transparency like a bad reception on an old TV set. Then suddenly, restricting Kevin's body wasn't enough. He could feel it slither into his mind like a cold blade entering his ear. It was trying to communicate telepathically. Words never heard spoke through lips that didn't move and echoed in his mind. All Kevin could do was growl at it, fought back with everything he had, and then it was gone. Kevin lay there and looked down, thinking the ordeal was over. He could still not move, but he was able to look to the end of the bed. The creature was standing there. It was around six feet tall, long thin scaly arms and legs, no genitals, all smooth. A golden light now shone through a gap in the curtains at the head of the bed. The creature's slitted eyes were on him as it walked towards the window, talking in that sibilant alien tongue. Kevin felt violated, the thing pushing deeper and deeper into his mind raped from the inside as the creature stared with those soulless eyes outside. Kevin growled at the creature as it walked towards the golden light from the window. Different shades of gold rolled around and around in small particles of bright light which floated around like the insides of a snow globe. Kevin fought back in his mind now, trying to push the voice out of his brain. There was a smugness to the voice inside his head, as if it was happy and content with whatever it had done to him. Whatever secret job it had set out to do was now done and there was a growing satisfaction in its tone. Kevin pushed back in his mind in any way he could. I don't believe in you, you bastard! It seemed to be letting out a wet, gurgling laugh. I'll kill you! I'll fucking kill you! Kevin tried to spit at it, but he couldn't. He only managed to spit all over himself. The creature moved into the light and vanished. Just like that, the creature and the light were gone, like a light switch turning off. His body tensed free of the invisible hold. As if forced, his eyes latched shut and he fell into a deep sleep. He awoke the next day. It was mid-afternoon. He could hear his mother downstairs, washing on, and she was talking loudly to herself as she usually did going about her daily chores. Kevin wanted to get up and run downstairs, to tell her, but instead he just lay there and went through the whole thing again in his mind. He lay there, dead still, could still feel the grip that had been around his throat, these arms held down by his sides. He could feel where something had been on top of him and could still feel where it had been roaming in his mind. Kevin, to this day, knows it happened. He felt as if the creature had raped him with no proof that it had happened. He only ever told one person, a friend. Not that he believed Kevin. Then Kevin started sharing his story with a few people on the internet, wanting to find if this had happened to more people. He wants to spread the word. He wants to fight back. He's positive that aliens do exist and do visit us. For what reasons, he doesn't know. All he knows is, they're not friendly.
1: Should do it. I'm just about done. A spritz of poison ivy perfume, and there. Now, remember to rate and review the show. It's very important. And keep sending in your stories, darlings. And it's that time again, darlings, to read out some of your reviews. First of all, we have one from. John Milo, seven, 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 all the sevens, and he said, all too often you get a generic podcast lazily put together with little to no imagination. That is not the case here. Beautifully spoken. Why, thank you. Impeccable production quality and engaging content makes this an all-round winner. Skill and effort have been applied with consideration and care for the product, making this stand out from the the very first. Oh, that's very sweet, John Milo, all the sevens. Thank you. Oh, that's Camilla now picking me up. Stay cool, kitty cats, and don't wait up. (laughs) Ciao!